What is up, hockey fans? This is the Golden Edge Podcast, the podcast where the Las Vegas Review Journal uh, talks about hockey in what remains of the Golden Knights. I am Ben Goats, one of your Review Journal Golden Knights beat reporters. Joining me on the other line, as always, is my colleague, David Shane. Dave, how are you doing this fine Thursday afternoon? Probably better than the Golden Knights are at this particular moment. Uh, I don't know how much they get much worse right now. So, yeah. <laughs> got a lot to talk about. We have a lot to talk about uh, this episode, and I'm excited to uh, get to all of it because a lot has happened since the last time we talked to you guys right after the Golden Knights season opener. We're, of course, going to discuss uh, their latest two games, including last night's game against the St. Louis Blues, all of the injury news that has been swirling around the team, and how we kind of affects their short-term outlet, at least for now. Outlook, I should say. Before we do all that, of course, I want to remind you guys that the Golden Edge podcast is brought to you by the Las Vegas Review Journal. Make sure you're checking out all our written work up there. That's where we push out all this injury news. Basically, as soon as we have it, we try to turn it around as quickly as possible. Once we get the update from Coach Pete DeBoer, we put out a story. So hopefully you guys are checking back to our website frequently to get the latest on all these guys. Uh, we are also uh, presented by Blue Wire. And, of course, if you guys could uh, rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do podcast, please do this one. We very much would appreciate it. Uh, so, yeah, like I said, the last time we uh, recorded was after the night's season opening win against the Seattle Kraken, which was uh, a very fun and exciting game. And then the Knights played uh, again two days later against the Los Angeles Kings. Did not go well. Then they had this weird five-day break until they uh, played the Blues Last night, uh, what was just kind of even the wait like for you, Dave? Because it was very weird for me to have hockey back, to have that exciting first game to talk about. And then just weirdly, at least for the Knights, to have hockey kind of go away for a little bit and kind of not come back out for almost a week. Yeah, it was a little weird. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I certainly wouldn't call it, you know unwelcome <laughs> i'll take a break anytime i can get it. i'm sure the knights needed one too uh there was a lot to fix after the la game uh they didn't fix a whole heck of a lot i don't feel like against st louis at least in the d zone uh or i think feels like maybe they were able to generate some good chances against what he felt was a pretty veteran st louis defense so i think he felt okay about that i i might have to go back and rewatch it it felt like Maybe the shots were a little deceiving. Um, I don't know. I don't like expected goals soaring when all you're doing is jamming a puck uh, into a goalie's pad from a foot away. That doesn't really strike me as a very like high expected goals, but apparently it is. So I don't know. Some of those numbers felt a little off to me and whatever. And there's a lot for the, the nights to work on. But yeah, the five-day break was you know odd. I mean, what? You know, look at Seattle and some of these other teams that have, you know, played a handful of games already. And the Knights were, you know, a couple right out of the shoot and then, uh, you know, back on their couch for a little bit. Yeah, Seattle has already played uh, five games, which is nuts to think about where the Knights, of course, have only uh, now played uh, three. But uh, when Seattle played their fifth game, the Knights had only played two Uh, That second game that we have not talked about on this podcast yet was a 6-2 loss to the Los Angeles Kings. So that did not go well. 
even worse for the Knights was the fact that uh, Captain Mark Stone uh, suffered a non-contact injury in the second period, left the game. Uh, after consulting with additional doctors on Monday, uh, it was decided that he does not need surgery. Uh, but Pete DeBoer kind of termed him, uh, quote-unquote, somewhere between day-to-day and week-to-week. I will allow everyone listening to make their own interpretations as to what that means. Uh, I've been asked myself uh, what exactly I think that timeline means. Uh, I think it's purposely vague for a reason, and the Knights maybe don't have a firm, exact timeline of when they expect Mark Stone back on the ice. So we'll have to see when he returns. Uh, Meanwhile, Max Pacioretty got hurt in the same game, though it wasn't nearly as obvious. I mean, you could tell he was playing through something late in the second period, but he was basically on the ice for almost the entire game. Uh, He did suffer a lower body fracture against the Kings. He is considered week to week. Uh, Sportsnet, Elliot Friedman reported he'll be out uh, six weeks. Uh, This was basically the worst one-two punch of injury news, maybe outside of like Alex Petrangelo and Shea Theodore the Knights could receive so early on in the season. I mean, obviously, Patrick and Stone uh, were the team's two leading scorers. Last year, I did some quick math. They have, uh, entering last night, they had six of the team's 18 points. So, you know, a third of the you know, their points in the first two games. Uh, they had 112 of the team's 517 points uh, last year, basically 22%. And they had 45 of the team's 190 goals last year, uh, almost 24%. Uh, they did not look good uh, without them last night. They lost 3-1 to the St. Louis Blues. Uh, we should also mention defenseman Alec Martinez left the game early in the third period and is still getting evaluated. He got tripped in the corner uh, of the defensive zone. And the Knights don't exactly have an easy road ahead without these guys because they get Edmonton tomorrow, the New York Islanders on Sunday, and then they have a back-to-back with Colorado and uh, Dallas. Uh, We touched on it uh, a little bit, but uh, Dave, what were your impressions of this team in their first game uh, without Pacioretty and Stone? And where do you think just kind of overall they're at right now? I'll go back to Robin Leonard's phrase last week, and I wanted to – you know, chalk it up to a stupid Twitter meme and whatever. But yeah, there's a lot of red flags. Uh, I would say if I was Pete DeBoer and he's talking about process or I'm sorry, process um, and not really results and all those sorts of things right now, like there's that tells me that they know there's a lot to fix and there's a lot of things behind the scenes, you know, that they're talking about and trying to sort out and figure out you know, really, I think how to stay afloat. Um, big question is where these goals are going to come from. You know, at, at some point, you know, you look at some of the bigger guys and that misfit line is still, still together. Some of those other guys in defense are still there, still there that you mentioned. But, you know, a lot of scoring pressure is going to fall on guys like Nicholas Waugh, uh, the dad off, um, Nolan Patrick. Chandler Stevenson, like, you know, some guys who have maybe had a little bit more secondary scoring roles are really going to have to step up. And I've made it clear how I feel about, you know, Dodonov and Nolan Patrick and the question marks that surround them. And so going forward, you know, I don't know if those guys are going to produce the way that the Golden Knights need them to produce right now. And if they don't, 
you're looking at a big hole that this team might have to climb out of early in the season. Yeah, well, the interesting uh, thing with that, two things, I guess, is one, it was interesting to hear Pete DeVore kind of talk about, you know, usually to win a game in the National Hockey League, he said, you know, it's a race to three. You need three goals. And his kind of blueprint for that uh, is one goal from the misfit line, one goal from somewhere else, and you hope you get uh, one goal in a different way. And he mentioned, you know, like maybe like a power play goal. But of course, now you're talking about uh, Max Pacioretty, who I believe led the team in power play goals last season when their power play already was something we brought up as a potential issue, is not going to be around for, like I said, we think six weeks. So it's questionable as to whether they will get that uh, third goal. So I guess uh, before I move on quick to another uh, tangent off of this, I mean, what did you kind of make of Pete DeBoer's kind of offensive process comment uh, last night, Dave, like that being the blueprint, you know, do you think the misfit plus one other line plus, you know, maybe a special teams goal is a sustainable model for success for the Knights, at least in the short term? Only if they're playing defense and getting goaltending to go with it, which they haven't been getting the defensive part of it. I feel like the goaltending is certainly improving. I don't think that was an issue you know, against St. Louis. If anything, that was a strength that kept them in the game. That gave them a chance, you know, to maybe steal a point or two. Um, I think they're going to have to, and Pete DeBoer said this and other players have said this is, you know, look to try to win three, two, two, one, you know, yeah. Use that formula. There's not a lot of offense in this, in that lineup, other than a couple big name defensemen and that front line, you know, there's there's just major question marks everywhere. So, you know, if if that's the way it's going to be, and that's the way that they're going to get two points and the identity that they're going to have to go with, then yeah, maybe you know that's the the best formula to go about getting there. And whether they can actually execute that game plan or formula that Pittsburgh laid out, you know, maybe that's a whole other question. Because, as you said. I don't know that there's a lot of optimism on the power play from what we've seen early on. And then you take two key players out of that. And I still feel like there's question marks of, okay, if you get a goal from, you know, the Carlson March to Smith line, like I don't know that you can count on getting a second goal from somebody else at this point. And I don't know that you can count on getting a power play goal. So, you know, those are all the question marks. Yeah. It's an, it's a nice game plan and it looks good on paper. Whether they can execute it, I think, is the biggest question mark. Yeah, even that Carlson line, which, of course, scored the Knights' long goal last night, uh, their job is going to get tougher as well just because now teams are going to be keying in on them uh, every night. I mean, obviously, we saw it in the Colorado series last year where uh, this, you know, Stone-Stevenson-Pacioretty line were able to kind of focus on the defensive job of shutting down the McKinnon line. And that allowed the Carlson line to kind of get easier matchups and thrive offensively in that series. Well, now the Carlson line is going to be the number one line on opponent scouting reports. So whether they can keep producing through that and basically contribute a goal a game is also going to be uh, a tough ask for them. Uh, but you also hit on what was going to be, you know, my uh, other tangent out of uh, this discussion today, which is the fact that. Uh, Pete DeBoer's idea that, you know, it's a race to three implies that the Knights are going to be able to hold their opponents to two. And right now that is very much a question mark in this early season. Uh, Obviously, they only gave up uh, 
three goals to the Blues last night, the last one being an empty netter. Uh, but that was much more about the goaltending performance they got from Robin Leonard than the defensive performance that the skaters in front of him provided. Now, it's very early, but uh, through three games, the Knights are allowing the most scoring chances per 60 minutes at 5-on-5 five five in the NHL, and they are allowing the most high-danger scoring chances uh, per 60 minutes at 5-on-5 five five in the NHL. Uh, their defense has been uh, porous and leaky early on this year, and Leonard has been good enough especially last night to kind of keep uh, them in it until he had to face a three on O and I don't know how many goalies uh, stop that, but you know, they have talked about, and you've touched on this too, Dave, of like maybe having to win three, two, two, one games. Uh, is that, you know, a style that they're going to be okay playing given the fact that this is how their defense looks early in the season? Well, if their defense looks like that, then no. And, and Pete DeBoer brought up that they're the same defense for the most part. I mean, we'll see how long Alec Martinez is out, if if at all, or you know how that affects things if it's long term. But it's basically the same defense, and you know, basically the same goalie. Let's be honest, you know that that led the league in goals against last year, that won the Jennings Trophy. At least it's one of them, and you know, certainly we've talked about this. There's nothing in Robin Leonard's last three years statistically to lead you to believe that there's going to be any kind of drop off goaltending wise for the Golden Knights. So, I mean, like in theory, everything is in place to do it. They just haven't done it yet. And I think Riley Smith even mentioned like they're kind of in game three mode right now, mentally and not in the mode of almost like playoff mode and that you have to play tight. And this, these are the games and this is the way that they're going to be able to squeeze out two points. And once I think they make me, you know, a little of that mental adjustment and, you know, maybe having to go against dry and Connor McDavid and, and right off the, the bat, having to, you know, adjust the way that you're playing and be conscious defensively and all of those sorts of things that it takes to beat the Oilers and slow that team down. Eh, maybe that'll help, but you know, for right now, you know, the, the pieces are in place, but the execution just hasn't been close to good enough. Yeah, the Knights, I mean, still have, I think, when they're healthy. Now, obviously, Martinez is a question mark. Uh, One through six have a very well-rounded blue line, one of the best in the NHL. As you mentioned, their goalie, uh, Tandem, even with uh, Laurent Brassois in for Marc-Andre Fleury, I think they still have a goalie group uh, that they could be very happy and comfortable with, especially with the way Leonard performed last night. Um, It will be... I guess interesting for me, though, to see how they potentially transition to, you know, a more defensive style, because even though they allowed the fewest goals in the NHL last year, they also weren't necessarily like a lock it down kind of team. Um, I looked at that. They were like basically average in uh, scoring chances against at five on five last year. And they're actually slightly below average in high danger scoring chances against at five on five last year. Now, they had the third most high danger chances themselves. So basically, they were willing to uh, trade chances a little bit and just count on, well, we're going to get more chances than you because we're better than you. And we have guys like Pacioretty and Stone who know how to finish those chances. And so that's why the Knights hit the third ranked offense in the NHL last year. And they ended up getting uh, that, you know, number one defense ranking Largely in part because their goalies cleaned up a lot of the high danger chances they allowed. I mean, there's a reason why Flurry won the Vesna 
trophy last year. So even though, you know, like they had that tandem win the Jennings, it was a lot on the goalies and not necessarily all on the team defense in front of them. So, you know, I'm curious to see if they kind of are able to adjust to, you know, more of a John Tortorella, I guess, for lack of a a better word, uh, shut it down kind of style. Uh, I know Riley Smith, you know, you brought up his comments after the game last night. Dave has mentioned, you know, this is a style that, you know, we played a little bit in our first couple years here. I think we can do it again. Um, Do you think that formula, you know, is there in this team's kind of previous identity to be able to, you know, find that kind of, I guess, more of a shutdown defensive style? I mean, if you're asking me, are they going to like play like the Devils in the 90s and just neutral zone trap everybody and whatever? Well, I no, I don't think they're going to do that. Yeah, but I think they can be de- defensively conscious. I think they can be defensively aware. They think they can limit teams to the perimeter and limit shots and do all the things that when Pete DeBoer teams are playing well, you see shot differential, you know, into the teens and things like that. That Those are the staples of, of a Pete DeBoer team playing its game. So, you know, what they gave up, I think it was 37. 38 last yes. night, 38 shots, if I remember right, with the with and 47 the game before. Right. To LA. So I mean that just right there is is sort of you know the sign that that things aren't fine tuned, that things aren't the way that they want them. But if they get it to where you know they're back and limiting chances and possessing the puck, doing all those sorts of things, you know, then yeah, they can play kind of a hybrid of it, but. No, I don't think they're ever going to be a team that's just going to sit back and line four guys up on the blue line and say, come and get it. You know, that, that's not who they are. That's not their identity. But there's, some, there's, a, there's a middle ground. There's an, there's an in-between there where they can't just continue to push forward and take chances and put themselves into bad positions the way that maybe they have, you know, a little bit early on this season. There, there has to be you know, an adjustment and that mental, you know, realization, like Riley Smith said of, okay, you know, for us to win right now, for us to stay afloat, we have to play a different way. Yeah, we'll see whether they're going to be able to uh, make that adjustment. Um, Like we said, Mark Stone, somewhere between uh, day-to-day and week-to-week. So his timeline is uh, relatively nebulous, patch-ready expected to be out about six weeks um, as uh, I'm sure everyone listening to this knows, but it's worth bringing up anyway. Uh, right wing Alex Tuck, of course, who has been an important goal scorer for the Knights over their entire history is out until um, probably at least January because of off season shoulder surgery. So that's a big piece that they're missing up front as well. You know, when we look at, you know, the upcoming stretch without, um, those two guys in Stone and Patch Ready in particular, you know, what I guess would constitute success for the Knights over this span, do you think, Dave? Because obviously, there we've talked about there's a lot of uh, concerns with how they're going to uh, get through it. But the expectation is ultimately, you know, they will have those guys back and have those guys back potentially well before, you know, any sort of potential uh, postseason run. So what, you know, should the Knights be targeting as, you know, a goal in terms of here's roughly, you know, the pace we should play at with the, those guys out so that when they get back, we're still in position, 
you know, to do everything that we hope to accomplish this season. I mean, whatever Keith DeBoer's timeline is for Mark Stone, you know, and how ambiguous that is, like, it, I can't answer that question because it depends on how long they're out. I think the shorter that Mark Stone's out and whatever, well, then they can get away with, you know, maybe being under 500. The longer that it goes, you know, if we're talking two, three weeks, if we're talking 10 games, we're talking anything, you know, significant like that, well, then, yeah, you better be closer to 500 because they've dug themselves a hole in the past and it's taken them, you know, all, all of their effort and, and expended everything just to try to get back into the race. And we've seen it before. So I, I think you want to avoid any situation like that. And, and as long as there's not a team in the Pacific division that's running away with it or two, then, you know, they can get away with, with being around 500 you know, as long as this thing goes, I think that's the goal. Uh, but you know, they're going to play a tough stretch on the road. You know, we don't know if Mark Stone's going to be back for, you know, that trip to Canada the first week of November. So, I mean, you look at short term and yeah, there's a handful of games coming up. That's tough, but you know, beyond that too, there's, there's some tough, uh, schedule games or just, you know, situations that they'll be in. So I think that the easy answer is, you want to stay close to 500 as possible, but the, the, the hard answer or the longer answer is it depends how long they're out and the quicker that they come back. Well, then maybe you can drop a couple games and, and make up for it. The longer they're out, if you drop some games and you drop some points and you start putting yourself, you know, down the standings, you know, then the harder it's going to be later on. Yeah, 500 seems like roughly the right amount, but obviously it depends a little bit on kind of the context around uh, the team, especially with timelines, as you mentioned, and the context of the standings as well, because as we've kind of talked about previewing this year, I don't think either of us is terribly high on the uh, Pacific Division this year, and that's sort of been borne out, at least in the early going, where uh, the Canucks have not gotten off to a good start, the Kraken have not gotten off to a good start, though their first five games all came on the road. Uh, the Kings beat the Knights very handily, but lost their other two games so far. Calgary is a one and one uh, through their two games. So as long as there's a you know a bunch of other teams just kind of you know lollygagging, kind of you know with poor records, the Knights can afford to you know not necessarily be scorching without those two guys out because they're still they'll still be very much in position to make the playoffs. And it sure sounds like the, some one of the messages Pete DeBoer wanted to get across uh, today, Thursday, as he was talking to the media, is, you know, for the most part, getting in is what mattered. He mentioned, you know, he's coached two Stanley Cup final teams, and the, the New Jersey Devils were the uh, sixth seed in the Eastern Conference uh, when he took them to the uh, 2012 final. And uh, the Sharks were third in the Pacific Division the year that he took them to the 2016 final. And he was also, you know, keen to point out, you know, uh, us in Colorado tied for the best record in the league last year. Colorado won that tiebreaker, but we beat Colorado and then Montreal uh, beat us. So, you know, regular season standings obviously don't always tell the story of what's going to happen in the playoffs and getting around that 500 mark for however patch ready and stone are out would keep the Knights for sure in range of whatever it's going to take them to make the playoffs. Um, one thing we should also point out is that, you know, this team has weathered, a, you know, a decent amount of uh, tough news 
in the past. I mean, Mark Andre Fleury got injured early on in year one. Uh, Nate Schmidt was suspended for the first 20 games in year two, and the team went eight, 11, and one over that stretch. Uh, they had their coach get fired midseason in year three. That's how DeVore took over. And then uh, Patch Reddy wasn't available for the six games, uh, first six games of the postseason last year, where the Knights went three and three against the Minnesota Wild. Then he came back for, of course, game seven, scored uh, the game winning goal, and the Knights were off from there. So this team, you know, has experience in kind of, you know, taking one on the chin and getting back up. Uh, do you think kind of the situation there and now is comparable? to any of those previous ones, Dave, or is this just kind of something different, a, you know, unique test that this team is facing? I mean, I think it's comparable to the first two you mentioned, you know, Flurry being out year one and certainly Nate Schmidt being out at the start of year two. And that's sort of what I was alluding to earlier, like the eight, 11 and one, like they were in a big hole. That team was struggling. That team got booed off the ice one night. That team had cheap tickets on the secondary market, all the same things that are going on, you know, early on in this season right now, except for maybe the booze. I don't think we've, we've heard that yet, but not yet. So the thing with that year, especially the second year was the way that they had to expend so much energy and just trying to get back in the race and get their game right and get back to that, feeling that they had the first year. And it took a long winning streak in December into January for them to do it. And if you took away that, that streak, like that was a 500 team for almost that entire year, they were spinning their wheels. And then they drove Marc-Andre Fleury into the ground and he ended up getting hurt, missing X amount of weeks leading into the playoffs. And then suddenly it was okay for, you know, the San Jose series. And we all know how that one ended. You know, but that entire year was just, you know, an uphill climb and fighting upstream for the Golden Knights. I think that's the most comparable situation that they're into right now and what they want to avoid. You know, they don't want to dig themselves a hole that they're then going to have to spend the next handful of months all the way probably up until, you know, like the Olympic break, trying to dig themselves out of and whether that means you know, riding Leonard into the ground the way that they did Flurry, or if guys come back and they have to log heavier minutes than maybe they were hoping or expecting for them. Like all of these different things become possibilities. So it, it's a situation that I think they definitely want to avoid. And that's why I say, you know, if they're able to stay at 500 and they're able to stay close and in the race, then, you know, that's, that's probably the best they can hope for or at least close to the best. Yeah, no, exactly. I think um, a lot of those kind of long-term effects that you pointed out are some of the kind of residual real concerns um, as well. Of like, what does Robin Leonard's usage like going forward? Because we saw when Pete DeBoer uh, first took over the Golden Knights, he also uh, kind of used Flurry almost every single game because he felt uh, the Knights were down in the race and had to catch back up, I believe. Uh, in his first, you know, kind of stint before uh, COVID shut down the NHL season, he only used Malcolm Subban once. And then, of course, the Knights made the trade for Robin Leonard right before uh, the COVID shutdown. Uh, he made three starts with the Knights, and so they started alternating then. Uh, but Flurry had a huge, huge workload once Pete DeBoer kind of took over 
and they felt that they needed to play catch up a little bit then. So it does become interesting about whether, you know, DeBoer would feel pressure to uh, play Robin Leonard a lot to get back in the race when, uh, as we've touched on in this podcast before, Leonard hasn't had, you know, kind of the huge starters workload uh, in quite a while because he's been more of a guy that's been a part of tandems for the last three, four years uh, of his career. I mean, it's also worth noting that obviously the nice second season ended in a controversial, uh, to put it mildly, fashion. But that was, uh, you know, even though it was one series by far, uh, Fleury's kind of worst postseason with the Knights because he was overall uh, excellent in the playoffs with them, where he had a 909 save percentage that series and a 2.7 goals against average. Obviously, uh, the last game uh, pushed those numbers up a touch, but, you know, it, he was not necessarily at his best that series. So we'll see if that's something that maybe ends up coming back uh, with the Knights this season. Obviously, we're a very long ways away from that. The Knights are only three games into the season. I think Alex Pringle used the phrase, you know, way too early to hit the uh, quote-unquote panic button uh, before last night's game. And I think that would certainly still stand after last night's game. There's 79 more games in the regular season to go. And the Knights are only one game below 500 as we speak. Um, Other news that have happened around the team this week uh, on the positive news for the injury front for the Knights, uh, Nicholas Waugh, Britt Howden, and William Carrier all made their season debuts Wednesday. So the Knights got uh, three key forwards back at a time when they really needed healthy forwards. Um, Matias Yanmark also returned to practice today after being in uh, COVID-19 protocols since last Monday. Uh, Sounds like they're still kind of testing out. They'll see whether he's available tomorrow against the Edmonton Oilers. Doesn't sound like a determination has been made uh, there yet. Um, And you've kind of touched on this a little earlier, Dave, but now that this forward group outside of Stone, Pacioretty, and Tuck has kind of been reassembled, uh, is there anyone in particular you're looking at that needs to kind of, you know, quote-unquote step up, needs to start producing, needs to take on a bigger role offensively for this team if they're going to play at that kind of 500 pace that we've talked about them probably needing to do? The Donovs, Patrick, uh, Stevenson, Wall, like all of the secondary scoring guys that are all of a sudden bumped up in the lineup, handful of them playing top six roles or, you know, maybe were before, but there's a, there's a lot of like that whole formula. We, we just, you know, went through and talked about, you know, not only is it finding a goal from another line, but it's finding a power play goal. Those guys on the power play and maybe it's the second unit. So like there's a lot of offensive onus that's going to be put on those guys, you know, for the next coming days, weeks, whatever it, it might be. And if they don't produce, we might see a lot of games like we saw last night where it's one, one in the third period. And one mistake by the Knights ends up, you know, costing them two points. And if that happens, you know, continuously, then, you know, again, you're, you're looking at a hole that you're going to have to dig out of, you know, for, for the coming months. So, yeah, I don't want to put it on one person because I don't think it's just one guy that necessarily has to step up from the, from the forward group. I think it's a handful of them. No, I think that's totally fair. Um, but I do think a guy that I am looking at in particular is Dodonov, just because, you know, I 
remember when uh, the Knights made that trade for him in this offseason, uh, you know, general manager Kelly McCrimmon had said, like, uh, the pro scouting staff, I believe the phrase he used was, like, viewed him as, you know, like a quote-unquote engine on a line, uh, which to me implies, like, okay, that's a guy that's driving the line, that's creating chances for himself and others, and that is kind of making that line go, which obviously is what uh, an engine does for a car. I'm no car expert. I have watched the Formula One docu-series briefly, but that's about all I know. Um, and to me, uh, Dodonov has not done that uh, through three games. He hasn't been a guy who I've seen has really driven play at five-on-five five for the Knights, and I don't think the Knights coaching staff has seen that either because he was on their kind of first line last night with Stevenson and Waugh, and he got dropped in the middle of the game and today at practice as well where Peyton Krebs got moved up to that line where Dodonov is now on uh, what I believe is now their third line uh, with Nolan Patrick and Keegan Colasar. So if he's not going to be able to kind of uh, produce in kind of the setup that the Knights are in right now and they're paying him you know $5 million to help contribute offensively, uh, that's not going to be a good look for him or the team. And so I do think he's got, you know, extra focus on him right now because uh, they really do need him to produce in this situation. Yeah. Hey, a $5 million contract would look pretty good in a Jack Eichel trade right about now, huh? Hey, who's to say? Who's to say what any, anything's going to happen right now? But maybe Buffalo has already proven that they don't need him because they're off to uh, a 3-0 and start uh, because early season hockey – it is madness and uh, can't say it enough. It is still very early on in the Golden Knights season. Uh, they are one and two. And obviously, while they haven't looked great while getting to that record, there is a lot of uh, headway still to make in the season and this schedule. Uh, we, will, of course, uh, see one Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty return to the ice. We will keep you guys updated uh, as to what's going on with those two guys when we get updates to share. Uh, but until then, make sure you keep checking back to ReviewJournal.com for all our written work. If we know something, we'll write it up as soon as we can. Uh, as a reminder, we are brought to you by the Las Vegas Review Journal. We are also presented by Blue Wire. Uh, and of course, if you guys could uh, rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do podcast, please do to this one. Uh, enjoy the hockey, everyone. Now that the Golden Knights are basically back in their schedule, I know I'm personally uh, looking forward to seeing Connor McDavid uh, in person for the first time in a while uh, tomorrow night. Uh, I'm Ben Goats. He's Dave Shane. We are the Golden Edge Podcast, and we'll talk to you guys again real soon. <laughs>